before we hear from God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, what an incredible gift that you have spoken to us and your generosity of had your word recorded in this book. So might it come and land on each and every one of us with authority and clarity and power and comfort. God, what every single person needs in this room more than anything else, and this is, this is true whether they've been a Christian for seven years, for 34 years, God, whether they've been wandering away from you and this is their first Sunday back maybe in, in a church building or service or, or whether they're here and, and they would not say they, they believe in you. However we come in, what we all need most is that we would leave this time with a renewed and deepening confidence in what Christ has done and a renewed and deepening hope in all that Christ promises to complete. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and lift Jesus high in this place. In our conversations, our prayers, as we receive communion, as we celebrate baptism. And I pray during this sermon that all of our hearts might be drawn after him. In Jesus' name, amen. 20 um, years ago or so, I attended a memorial service from my childhood best friend, my buddy Pete. He was working on his car and... Out of the blue, unexpectedly, he had a brain aneurysm, and he, and he passed away. And it was shocking. Um, it was really sudden. And we gathered in uh, uh, his, his home church to have a memorial service and a celebration of his life. And we gathered in this room, and because of his age and growing up in Seattle, so many of our old high school friends gathered as well. So we had hundreds and hundreds of 20-something-year-olds gathered in this, this room. And one of the things that... that, that that I can't stop thinking about is as we, we began the service and had everyone stand and, and his parents came in the room who I knew very well had spent so much time in their home. They came in, they stood in the front pew, kind of kitty corner. I was in the back and they're in the very front and we, be, we began to sing and I watched my friend's mom raise her hands up to sing and she began to just sing, great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. You know, singing these lyrics at this service for her young son. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. And I sang, but mostly what I did is I just watched. As I watched, I was just blown away. I was just like, how in the world is she able to do that? I want to be very careful here to not hold them up as the only way to, to grieve or to wrestle through loss. That's one example. All of us in this room, as we wrestle through the challenges that we face, are going to respond differently. So I don't hold them up as the, the only example of the right way to do it. But I still was just so blown away by how they responded in a moment of such sorrow that was deepened and emphasized as the service finished and we gathered kind of in the commons area. And there was this, these lines of hundreds of my, my friends lined up greeting and shaking hands and, and giving hugs. And the, the whole time, they were the ones that were comforting everyone else. And I just continued to step back and go, how in the world are they able to do this, to praise God and to trust God and to glorify God, even in the shadow of something so sad? And they were sad. 
and they still worshiped. How? Today's text is going to give us at least one way that that happens. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? Romans 4, 16 through verse 25. This is God's wonderful, perfect word. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations and the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Feel free to grab a seat. A key insight from what is a very helpful book called Untangling Emotions is this, that emotions don't come in single file. That simultaneously, we can have lots of things going on under the surface. We can be angry and joyful, at the same time sorrowful and hopeful. We can be confused and, 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 and convinced all at the same time. We can have anxiety and hope and frustration and boredom and celebration. Like all that stuff happens. And sometimes it's disorienting because it comes from so many places simultaneously. Let me try to make the same claim with truth. Truth, that which is real doesn't come in single file. Multiple, even seemingly opposite things can be true at the same time. Look at verse 18, this little phrase, in hope he believed against hope. J.B. Phillips wrote a paraphrase of the New Testament that I find is helpful to color some of the language, and this is the paraphrase from, from Phillips says this about verse 18. Abraham, when hope was dead within him, went on hoping in faith. There's two different things happening at the same time. The background for this text in Romans 4 is from the first book of the Bible, a book called Genesis, from about chapter 12 to chapter 22, lays out the life of Abraham. It continues past that, but we'll, we'll look at some of the passages there in a bit. But here's the, here's the summary of what's going on. A child had been promised by God to Abraham and to his wife, Sarah but it hadn't happened yet. Verse 19 in Romans 4 states part of the problem. It gives a summary of what's going on. It says, he did not weaken his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. There's another passage talking about Sarah. It says, the way of women had ceased with her, saying Sarah had been through menopause. And so he's 100 years old. She's unable to, to conceive, and God still has this promise that hasn't come true yet. 
Those were the facts. That was the situation. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 100, no child has come. It's a, what feels like a hopeless situation with no apparent solution. I want to pause here for a moment as we look at the idea of having our faith strengthened like it did for Abraham, who grew strong in his faith. Notice that Abraham, he didn't ignore reality. The text says he considered his own body. He looked at reality, he said, this is really what's going on. This is the situation. He considered his wife as well. And it's right here where I think for some of us, and if you're in this room and you profess faith in Christ, that, that, that we could learn something. I think that in a desire to honor God and, and maybe the fear to, to not feel like we have a, a weak faith is that sometimes what we do is we sidestep what's true or we minimize what's true. We ignore what is true. But that's not what Abraham did. Let me give you another paraphrase from Phillips. He says this. It says, with undaunted faith, he looked at the facts. So Abraham, with undaunted faith, he considered his own body. It's an invitation to all of us. For honest, this world is full of wonderful and good and right and praiseworthy things and enjoyable things. And this world is full of a lot of hopes that didn't get fulfilled and a lot of hurts and a lot of sorrows, a lot of confusion. Could be exactly what faced Abraham and Sarah. It could be infertility. That's the story of many that have been a part of our church. Could be unemployment. You got laid off surprisingly. Worry about when the next job is gonna come that seems to get harder and harder and harder. Every resume that goes out or every interview that doesn't go to the end. Could be a concerning spot you see on your shoulder and then making that appointment to go talk with the doctor. Could be loneliness. Just that desire for someone to be close to you, just to have a deep friendship with somebody, and it seems like that person never shows up. It could be, if you're a parent, it could be the millions of things that we hope for our children, or the millions of things we hope don't happen to our children. Whatever it is, like whatever it is that's real, verse 19 is inviting us to be honest about it, to, to look at the facts. That's what Abraham did. He considered his body that was as good as dead. But, and this is where we don't get stuck there, that we can, with hope, believe against hope, that we can look at the facts and still have faith is that he looked somewhere else as well. He didn't just consider the hard reality of his present circumstances. He saw them through this three-word, and I'm going to use it almost as a mantra today that we see in verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He said, this is the reality, and this is also the reality. God is able. Abraham knew that more than one thing can be true at the same time. A situation can seem hopeless, and God is still able. Now, how did, how did he do this? Like, how did he cultivate this sort of strengthened faith, um, let me give you a simple answer, and then we'll try to unpack it a little bit. The simple answer is this. He, he worshiped God as God. He trusted God as God. He saw God as God. 
We see some of this in verse 18 where it says, as he had been told. We see it in verse 20 concerning the promises of God. God had said it. Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. There's a a sense in which it's like, Abraham's like, well, God said it, therefore I'm going to believe it. Simple, right? Doesn't feel simple. God said it. Do we believe it? It doesn't often feel very simple. And what we're going to see here in a minute is it wasn't simple for Abraham either. But what I want to do right now is just notice this phrase in verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. What you hear in that last part of that verse is the outcome. His faith was strengthened. Something acted upon in his faith to make it more resilient, to make him believe, to have hope against hope. And then it gives you how he did it. It says, as he gave glory to God, as he worshiped God, as he honored God, as, he, as God came into clear focus in front of him, it actually strengthened his faith. The word glory, among many things, it's a big, it's a short word that means a whole lot. Means weightiness, radiance, splendor, honor, prestige, renown. And what Abraham is doing here is he's giving glory to God. He's saying, I, I, I'm going to worship God as God. That, that I'm going to try to hold God in renown as, as God should be. I'm going to try to bring who God is into clear focus in my, my head, in my, my heart. So I'm going I'm to reflect that back to him of all he can do and all, he, all that he is. And I'm going to bring that into this situation. He put the facts of God next to the facts of his life. And he came to this conclusion. God is able. One of, the, one of my favorite things to do in this text is to look at verse 17 in light of verse 19. Some facts of God stacked next to the facts of Abraham's life. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. And then listen to this description of God. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Those are true statements about God and his power and ability that he can bring life out of that which is dead and he can create everything out of nothing. Now, put that next to the the reality of Abraham's life. Verse 19, he did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. And what's happening here is there's two things that are being put on top of each other. His body's as good as dead, but he's got a God who can raise the dead. His, his, his wife's body is barren, but, but, but he's got a God that can bring everything out of nothing. What he's doing is stacking these against each other. His body is as good as dead, but God can bring life. Sarah's womb is barren, but God can bring forth anything. Verse 19 is true. Verse 19 is true for Abraham. This is all reality. He's 100 years old. This doesn't seem believable. Verse 17 is true, though, as well, and it's a stronger truth. The loss of my friend was, was real and painful for everyone, especially his family. But it didn't nullify that God is faithful. That's how she was able to sing it. It didn't deny the fact that his mercy is real and that compassion is endless. That in Jesus, death is actually dead and doesn't win. 
That's how they were able to, to worship. They, it's, it's the ability. Part of strengthening faith is confronting one truth with a greater truth. It's confronting the reality of our circumstances with the, with the more commanding reality of who God is. I'll give you two scenes um, from Abraham that show the difference of why this matters and how we live out our, our lives, of what happens. These two scenes are going to kind of contrast each other about what it looks like when our faith is growing or our faith is faltering. And we'll start with that one. Let me just remind you, Romans 4 is reaching back to Genesis 12 through 22. Let me give you a zoom over of a bunch of decades here. Genesis 12, there's a promise that God gives to Abraham that he's going to have a child. He's about 70 years old. And then you go to Genesis 15, and God reaffirms and renews that promise to him when he's about 85 years old. Up to this point, he still has not had a child that had been promised. The clock is no doubt ticking or feels like it's completely stopped. And then you get to Genesis 16, and this is what we read in Genesis 16. Genesis 16, 1 through 2. Now Sarai, another name for Sarah or Abram, another name for Abraham. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Where's the promise? Like, I was promised. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and what she's going to suggest is what was done at this time to try to engage if you were not able to conceive. This is a very standard practice. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. That's probably its own phrase we could lean into because the Lord has promised it just hasn't happened yet. Sometimes our timing gets a little wonky. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. I want you to listen, clue in on this next phrase. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. But God had promised. But it hadn't happened yet. And he listened to the wrong voice. Isn't isn't that where the battle's like really fought for us? And this fight for faith, like what voice is loudest? What, what truth is, is loudest? There is the reality of what Abraham was going through. There's the reality of what you are going through. There's the reality of what I'm going through. There's the reality of what our world is going through. That's true. Those voices are real. Which voice gets to be loudest? What truth gets to be loudest? And you can consider the bare facts of life. One of the things that and the main things that can cause us to stumble is that the reality in front of us is so much louder than the reality of who God is and what God has promised. Now, a question we might all ask is whose voice are we listening to? What and who gets to be loudest? Is God able? Or is God not? Now, what you'll see if you go read Genesis 16 and, and following and you actually look at the, the shape of human history and all that transpires that this moment of misstep, this wavering faith that, that happened resulted in all sorts of chaos. It's true for us as well. Now, if we go to Genesis 22, we see a shift take place. At this point, this is many years later, Sarah has indeed become pregnant. She's delivered a, a son with Abraham, a baby boy named Isaac. And if you go look at that chapter, it gets really complex, and I'm not going to unpack all the, the, the tricky things that are in that text, but in that passage, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to bring your son, whom I've promised, this, this offspring that's supposed to produce all the, the kids that come after, and God's people will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and ultimately the Savior of the world will come from this child, 
And I want you to take him and I want you to go up on a mountain and I want you to offer him up as an offering to me. Now that's tricky for a variety of ways. One is that Isaac was the promised one. So if he's not around, how do any of the promises come true? The other is this, that God himself condemns the offering of, of children to, to, to false gods consistently. And so whatever's happening here, and like I said, I'm not gonna go into the complexity of it. Abraham knew that whatever God was calling him to do, somehow his promises would still come true. And we have help actually from the Bible, from Hebrews chapter 11 says this, making a commentary on what Abraham did. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And then this wonderful commentary, he considered that God was able. You see that little phrase again. Whatever was going on, He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see the same three words, God was able. But what you see is a totally different outcome based on which truth was loudest, one where it caused calamity, one that it was an act of honor and worship to God. Here's the point. How we live right now is so greatly shaped It's so utterly dependent on what truth is loudest to us. Whatever you're going, is God able? Or we fill that blank with so many other things. What helps turn up the volume on the bigger truth, what Abraham was doing was glorifying God. He was making much of God, bringing him into focus. I'm going to give you a few ways we do that, and I'm going to give you a real key strategy that involves all of us. Um, One of the ways that we get to glorify God, we got to know God as God, we want to see him as God, right? One of the ways we do that is is through learning this. The the, the louder this can get, the, the more that we get to know the God of the Bible and all that he's promised and all that he is and all that he has delivered on, and we get to look at those, and that gets to instill in us a sort of confidence. It's why we spend time cultivating prayer, communing with God in conversations and asking and confessing as we're trying to create some some degree of closeness that we can glorify God as God and By the process, our faith is strengthened, that we're seeing him as he is. We're making what's true of him louder to us as we're in this world. But let me give you one of the amazing ways it works out actually in community, as we get to see it with one another. As we have this example of Abraham, we're getting to to watch how his faith worked out, and it begins to create some some shifts in in us. You know, if you ever wonder why we do this thing on Sundays, this, this wonderful thing called corporate worship. And so we might gather in a place to have the things of God made more clear to us again because we're so quick to forget. As we gather here and you watch one another sing and you get to watch them, you say, these are people that believe. Maybe they they sort of believe. Maybe they're learning to believe as we we pray and we remind ourselves that the the tomb is empty, that Jesus is is risen, that there's someone there listening as we open up his, his word and have the truth of God declared to us again and again and again that God is able as we receive communion as you're watching people go up there and say that we're saved by Christ alone, that, that Jesus has conquered death, and, and I, I get to watch it, and I get to sit there and see it displayed again and again and again. We do it throughout the week in our homes on Thursdays. We bring our sorrows and our struggles, and someone else says, I can pray for you. I don't even have the strength to pray for myself. You have a church of people that will pray for you, and we continue to bear these burdens and to carry these things with one another, and what's happening is we testify to the greatness and goodness of God, that it be becomes contagious. 
The faith in others has a way of strengthening our own faith, particularly when it's faltering. Let me give you a story from Monday night. My friend Jim Woods, part of our church, had just finished chemo again. And he came to a, uh, he was, came to a meeting that we were doing on Monday night. And at some point, he just kind of said, hey, can I say something? And no one's going to, I'm never going to tell Jim no. So Jim, Jim just, he just looks at everybody and he says, listen, don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your cancer. He says, I, I got to testify to the goodness of God to so many doctors and nurses. I got to, to pray with them and pray for them. And he's just, he's just sharing this effusive Christ-saturated joy. Because he knows that death has been conquered through Christ. And he sent me a little video when he had finished chemo. You, you ring a bell as a symbol and a declaration. You know, he rings it three times and he says, that's for the Trinity. And I just, just love this, this commitment to Christ. And, it, and it's, it's been there so many times. That Jim had also fought cancer a few years ago. He had stomach cancer. I have his stomach removed. Um, and because he's a doctor, he likes to send me texts with all the detailed stuff that's about to happen. And so I skim those carefully in case there's pictures attached. And so, but he, he sends this list of here's, here's the treatment that's coming. You know, I've got to begin chemo. I need this surgery. And he went through all these lists. And I don't remember all the bullet points, but here's, here's the, the last point on his list. He says, the last thing to happen is this. It's going to be glory. So I'm going to get to be with Jesus. Whether the treatment works or not, whether my body's healed or not, because of what Christ has done, I'm going to get to be in glory. That's a strong faith. My friend went through so much, and he just kept giving glory to God. Like, I want that kind of faith. You want that kind of faith? I want that kind of, I don't have that kind of faith. And if you've gone through something hard and you didn't respond that way, that's okay. I get it. But here's what we have. We have Jim as part of our church. You know what we can do? We can piggyback on him. God is able. Two weeks ago, um, we looked at this wonderful, when we first went through this text, this really wonderful, this incredibly comforting declaration that we are saved by the object, not the quality or depth of our faith. That is still true. The weakest faith in the perfections of Christ are strong enough for all of us. And so we throw all of our weight on him. He alone is our righteousness. That's still true. That will always be true, wonderfully true. But it doesn't mean the quality of our faith is unimportant or it doesn't make an impact. It's very important. We saw this in Abraham's life is what voice he was listening to. It's partly the way we want to cultivate it. As his faith grew stronger, when tested, he didn't falter. The strength of our hope, it plays such a major role in learning to hope right now when things feel hopeless and experiencing comfort when things are distressing. And being able to lay hold of joy when you're surrounded by sorrow or maybe just boredom. A finding peace in a world that's so chaotic. It's one of the things that we see from verse 21 that he glorified God and his faith was strengthened. Fully convinced that God is able. I love that three-word phrase. It's one that I want to carry with me through. That God is, is able. But what I want to do is, is give you a bit of a, a nuance it a little bit. We got to be careful what we mean when we say it, or we're going to set ourselves up for some very real disappointment. God is able is not a blank check phrase. 
that whatever you hope will happen, will happen. You know, consider again the list from earlier. Not everyone that struggles with infertility will be given a miracle child like Abraham and Sarah. Not everyone going through unemployment will have it ended soon without financial major implications. Sometimes the the strange spot on your shoulder does indeed turn out to be cancer and sometimes not treatable. Sometimes loneliness continues. Sometimes the things that we really hope for our kids just don't happen. And sometimes the things we really hope don't happen to them actually do. Has God failed? Or have, have we failed? Sometimes that's where we put it, well, I didn't have enough faith. Have we, have we trusted in the wrong thing or the wrong person? Here's, here's why I'm doing this. Don't miss what Abraham believed. He believed what God had promised. Not just what he hoped for. God had given him his word, and so that's what he held on to. Now, that doesn't mean all the things that we hope for and long for, we have a good father. Oh, ask him. Ask him. Go be him with your, your hurts and your longings and your desires and ask him. And if he does not say yes, where do we focus the things he's promised? That's, where we, that's, that's what we lay hold on. Not, not just the things we long for, but the things that he's actually said, this I will do. And we're going to look at an incredible promise in verse 24. But what I want to do is give you a couple other promises, just as, as way of modeling one of the ways that we can glorify God, get to know him and have it increase our faith. Let me give you the first one from another chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know... And this is a promise. This is a promise given to everyone that calls upon the name Jesus. This is a promise given to all who love God. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That is a trillion dollar verse. I was trying to think how to even describe it. That's like, that's more than Fort Knox verse. That's, that's like print your own money verse. You, can, you will never bankrupt that verse, ever. And part of glorifying God is getting that truth as we know. Like we know it, we get it deep in us. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know it because God has promised that somehow cancer works out for good. Somehow infertility works out for good. I do not say that flippantly. Somehow wars work out for good. Somehow God is able to take these things and fashion them in such a way that they give way to that which is was good. You can take a verse like this. One of the ways you can do this is you roll it around. You digest it. You memorize it. You savor it. You restate it over and over and over again. You can take it and it's like you can, you can massage it into a wound like ointment on your skin. You, you could go to it like a, like a cast wrapped around fragile bones to protect them. As a middle-aged man who doesn't often sleep through the night anymore, um, it, it could be like the world's best pillow to lay your head on after a really weary day. And we know. Now, it doesn't mean everything feels good. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't. 
It just means it's going to work out for good. And it doesn't mean it's going to work out for good now or soon, but it will one day. We have another passage for that. Let me give you another passage. This is my go-to text for just about everything. This, this text is from the second to last chapter of the Bible. Um, this is the text I, I try to stamp over all the headlines I read, all of the hurts I hear, all of the things that I experience, everything. This is God's promise, Revelation 21, three through five. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is a promise, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. This is a promise, and God himself will be with them as their God. Here's a promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here's a promise. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, here's a promise, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. We had a three-word phrase we looked at, God is able. Let me give you a three-letter word that you can bring into every moment of your life as we sit with that. Ever things haven't happened yet because not all of that has happened yet. And the word is Yet. Full healing hasn't happened yet. Wars haven't stopped yet. Loneliness isn't eradicated yet. The tears haven't stopped flowing yet. See, everything that we long for, God is, everything we most long for, Rightly long for. God is saying, it's coming someday. It's, God spoke to Abraham. He also spoke to us. It's the truth in this word. And, and what we want to do to strengthen our faith, it's just one of the ways. It's not the only way. It's to be in a community of people that holds this book up and says, let's get to know the God of this word and the promises he's made. And as we forget him, maybe someone next to us will remind him as we point back to what God has said he will do. It's one of the reasons the Bible, this whole yet idea, it's one of the reasons the Bible ends with a prayer and a promise. The very end, the, the last prayer of the Bible is this, come Lord Jesus. Because that's the end of the yet. And then here's the last promise, surely I am coming soon. And notice what wraps, so we finish out this text, notice what wraps the verses we've looked at up in verse 16 and then 23 and, and following in 16, it says this, that is why it depends on faith. And then listen to this beautiful phrase, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed. We want to grow stronger in our faith because it secures right now confidence in God, which affects us and those around us. We want to be stronger in our faith because it honors God, displays his goodness and grace, greatness and graciousness and glory. But, wonderfully true is even when we waver, which we will, even when we struggle to believe his promises, it doesn't change them because it doesn't rest on us. It rests on his grace. He will do it. And as we go down into the final verses, what we see is this promise doesn't just rest on grace. In verses 23 and following, we hear this, it rests on a person. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, 
but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We did a deeper dive into these verses a few weeks ago. We'll continue as we go through Romans. But what those verses are summarizing is the gospel. Saying that the promise rests on Jesus and what he did in coming and living the life that we were meant to live. And then going to a cross to take the debt that we owed and to pay the debt that we owed and take the judgment that we deserved. And then he went to the the tomb and three days later he rose again triumphantly to say that the death has been, been conquered. And one of, the, one of the incredible things in that promise, this promise in verse 24 is that this is real for all who believe. And here's what that promise does is it creates, it gives way to all the other promises that everything that God has said he's gonna do that's good and right is ultimately secured for us in Jesus Christ. It's why he's our cornerstone. It's why our hope is built in nothing less than him alone. How you'll see this used later in Romans is Paul, the author of this letter, he, he says, if God did not spare his own son, but give them up for us. How much more will he give us all things? See, that's the promise. When, when it feels like everything is chaotic and everything is falling apart, you say, but he gave up his son. If you doubt the promise of God, you doubt Revelation 61, you doubt Romans 8, 29, he works all things for good. You know what we do? We look to a cross. And again and again, we say, if he didn't withhold his son, he's gonna come through in every way that he ever promised to. The one that has come to take our sin and to be our righteousness so we might be right before God in an empty tomb. We can look at an empty tomb and say, God is gonna do it. God is able. He's shown his commitment to it. And one day he's coming back to bring it to completion where there'll be no more yet. There's no better guarantee than this. So my friend's family was able to worship in the way they did because they knew the memorial service wasn't the end. It would give way to, 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 to resurrection life. That's why my friend Jim has a sort of joy he has. Cancer is 100% defeated by Christ followers. And I don't say that flippantly. I, I really don't. But because of the empty tomb, Jesus has eradicated every disease one day. The grave is defeated. Everything will work for good. A new creation is coming. God has promised it. God is able. Let's pray. Father, we need the work of your spirit to make the reality of God come alive to us, to make the word of God an authority to us to cement it down in our hearts and to move by your spirit in this community of people that all that you are, all that you've promised, all that you've promised you, all that Jesus has done, all that what he's done has secured for the future would become so much more real, God. Help us learn to be a people that don't sidestep and ignore the very realities of our lives. Help us also not get stuck there, but from there to press into the God who is able. And in Christ, what we've seen is a God who is willing. Help, would you just grow our faith as we see you as you ought to be seen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.